This is your host, Scott Singer, and you are now tuned into Biofuels Daily. It is Wednesday, November 20th. Just like a countercurrent shell and tube heat exchanger, today's stories are going to transfer knowledge down your information gradient. Today I'll be covering six stories, which include number one, B20 bodies of fuel will debut in Malaysia next year. Number two, EPA actions trigger Project Liberty shift from production to R&D. Number three, bid by U.S. fund Amera for Brazil sugar meal fails to win creditor approval. Number four, Grand Forks biorefinery construction nears completion and prepares to ramp up. Number five, E15 summer sales are up 46% in 2019. And lastly, number six, The European Union has an increased demand for low-carbon liquid fuels, which can be met sustainably, study shows. So let's dig into our first story, which comes out of Kuala Lumpur. B20 biodiesel will be introduced in Langkawi, Labuan, Sarawak, and Sabah next year, the Primary Industries Ministry has announced. Its Secretary General, Tan Yu Chong, said the fuel A blend of 20% palm methyl ester and 80% petroleum diesel will make its debut in Langkawi in the first quarter of 2020, followed by Labuan in April, Sarawak in July, and later Sabah. He said the move would involve upgrading existing facilities, including storage and pump facilities. The Malaysian Palm Oil Board, also known as the MPOB, will sign an agreement with five petroleum companies to upgrade their facilities to accommodate B30 biodiesel. Last year, Prime Minister Dr. Mahathir Mohamed urged the local palm oil industry to join the ranks of countries already using B20 biodiesel like Indonesia. Indonesia is gearing up to switch to B30 biodiesel next year. Tan said Malaysia and Indonesia would fund a joint fund to counter the anti-palm oil lobby. When there are anti-palm oil narratives, we need to come up with a communication plan, he told reporters later. You need money. It needs to come out from this fund because we are fighting it together. Our second story comes out of Emmitsburg, Iowa. Poet, DSM Advanced Biofuels LLC, a joint venture of Royal DSM and Poet LLC, today announced that it will pause production of cellulosic biofuels at Project Liberty and shift to R&D focused on improving operational efficiency. This step is a result of EPA challenges with the implementation of the Renewable Fuel Standard, also known as the RFS. The joint venture will focus on R&D with the goal of improving mechanical reliability, creating additional technological efficiencies, and licensing technology in countries which favorably support the use of low-carbon fuels from crop residue and other biomass. As part of this effort, the joint venture will use biomass stored on site or already under contract and will not purchase additional biomass at this time. The team needed to sustain R&D efforts has been evaluated and the joint venture will move forward with a reduced headcount in February. From the very beginning, the team at Liberty have been pioneers and both companies are grateful for the contribution to the effort. Without these individuals, significant progress in commercializing a new, lower carbon fuel would not have been achieved. The RFS was created to solidify U.S. leadership in low carbon fuels and drive investment and innovation, as well as to make the U.S. energy independent. 
It also offered new income opportunities for farmers, improving the rural economy, created a use for crop residue, and encouraged commercialization of advanced biofuels that have 85 to 95% less greenhouse gas emissions than gasoline. Project Liberty has contributed to RFS goals by commercially producing and selling cellulosic ethanol made from biomass, creating jobs and furthering the move to low-carbon economy in the U.S. We are grateful to President Trump for his support of biofuels policies, including year-round E15 and recent efforts to maintain the integrity of the RFS. But while the White House is pursuing policy proposals to help biofuels, tremendous harm has been done. Over the last three years, EPA management of the RFS has held back cellulosic ethanol advancement, hindered future agricultural markets for U.S. farmers, and undermined what the president has promised, said Poets Senior Vice President of External Affairs and Communications, Kyle Gilley. For example, the EPA has continuously implemented lower RVO levels for cellulosic biofuels, shrinking the market potential for this new technology. The EPA recently announced 31 new small refinery waivers, reducing the annual blending amounts below statutory requirements, causing a precipitous drop in D3 RIN values, removing an incentive for purchasing the product and commercializing the technology. The EPA has blocked new cellulosic pathways by changing the approval mechanisms outside of the required legal processes, slowing the development and commercialization of processes that meet the intent of the RFS. Because of these policy changes, the economic landscape for cellulosic ethanol in the U.S. makes private and global investments in this technology more challenging. As a result, our joint venture is responding by temporarily pivoting and focusing on R&D efforts to improve technological efficiencies and explore additional international licensing opportunities in countries that are not choosing oil over agriculture said President DSM North America, Hugh Welsh. Poet and DSM remain committed to our joint mission and will continue to build on the success they have achieved. They continue to urge the EPA to follow the intent of the RFS, preserve U.S. leadership in this critical effort, and provide certainty to public and private investors. Kyle Gilley, Poet's Senior Vice President of External Affairs and Communications, and Hugh Welsh, President DSM North America, issued the following joint statement. Despite the changes announced today, Poet DSM Advanced Biofuels remains committed to leading the effort to scale up this cleaner renewable fuel as a solution to reduce carbon emissions. Poet DSM Advanced Biofuels will continue its relentless advocacy and encourage the administration to support the intent of the RSF and put in place policies that advance renewable fuels, boost rural economies, and reverse the effects of climate change. We are proud of our achievements so far in demonstrating the efficacy of the biotechnology required to produce cellulosic biofuels at commercial scale and look forward to making additional R&D breakthroughs. Uh, some background information about Poet DSM Advanced Biofuels LLC. Poet DSM Advanced Biofuels LLC is a 50-50 joint venture between Royal DSM and Poet LLC. Based in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, the company is a cooperative effort of two innovators that provide a key to unlocking the opportunity of converting corn crop residue into cellulosic bioethanol. Built on the strengths of both companies, the joint venture has a critical mission to make cellulosic bioethanol competitive with corn bioethanol, the most competitive renewable liquid transportation fuel on the U.S. market today.
drawing on the deep expertise and experience of Poet and DSM in different areas of converting cellulosic biomass into bioethanol, Poet DSM Advanced Biofuels has built its first commercial scale plant co-located with Poet Biorefining in Emmitsburg, Iowa. Based on this plant, the joint venture plans to globally license an integrated technology package for the conversion of corn crop residues to cellulosic bioethanol. More information can be found at www.poetdsm.com. Our third story to get today comes out of Sao Paulo, Brazil. A bid by U.S.-based fund AmeriCapital Management LLC to buy one of the mills from Brazilian sugar and ethanol producer Clioco failed to win approval from a group of creditors of the Brazilian company. Clioco, which filed for bankruptcy protection in July, said late on Monday that Amara's bid of $47 million for its Queiroz mill, one of the three mills the company operates in Brazil, was not approved at a meeting on Monday by creditors who have a total debt estimated at around $1 billion R-E-A-I-S, or $238 million. Amera, a fund specialized in distressed assets and high-yield financing, is also a creditor of Clioco, which is proposing in its court recovery plan to sell the Quiraz plant to pay back most creditors. Amera already controls a sugar and ethanol plant in Brazil, the Navari Mill in Mato Grosso do Sul State, which it acquired from Brazil's Infinity, a company that filed for bankruptcy production in the troubled Brazilian sugar sector. A third bankruptcy case involving Amera is linked to local grain trader Sierra Agro, which is selling some assets such as port terminals and elevators as part of its recovery plan. Clearco said in its statement that creditors thought the bid did not value the Quera's mill properly. More than 70 mills have gone under bankruptcy production in Brazil in the last years after a long period of low sugar and ethanol prices. Our fourth story today comes out of Wisconsin. A Wisconsin-based company nearing completion of its biorefinery plant in Grand Forks is looking to begin transforming agricultural waste into ethanol despite the poor harvest. Keshav Rajpal, one of the principal leaders of Biomass Solution, the company that runs the Red River Biorefinery, gave an update on the plant's construction at the North Dakota Energy Conference and Expo held at the Alaris Center on November 13th and 14th. The facility is located to the north of J.R. Simplot, a convenient location for a company that processes, among other things, potato waste into ethanol. If you drive by it and look at it, it doesn't really look like an ethanol plant, Raj Paul said. It's all enclosed, everything is inside. Part of the reason for that is that it has some very significant energy integration, so we're really conscious about what our carbon footprint looks like. That consciousness of its carbon footprint translated into the design, which Raj Paul describes as narrow and tight. That design was on purpose, not necessarily to keep costs down, but to add value to the fuel that will eventually be produced here. The market for the ethanol is primarily California and other parts of the West Coast and Canada. The reason for selling there is simple. The price is higher. They have a thing called the low carbon fuel standard, Raj Paul said. So that market has higher value for the fuel. They basically have a carbon trading process in place. Put plainly, the lower the carbon footprint of the manufacturing facility, the higher the value of the fuel. 
Red River Biorefinery also produces renewable natural gas from agricultural waste, gas that can be used to power the plant, further reducing its carbon footprint. Rajpal said that the company is expecting to make its first sales in the new year. The 80,000 square foot biorefinery, which broke ground in August 2018, should be able to produce more than 16 million gallons of ethanol per year, according to Rajpal. The system is to transform agricultural waste into fuel, that waste being primarily sugar beet tailings and potato waste from companies such as Crystal Sugar and J.R. Simplot, though other sources of feedstock are possible. Off-spec wheat, off-spec corn, high-moisture stuff, anything that's got starch or sugar in it, Rajpal told the crowd during his presentation Thursday morning. The poor harvest this autumn that plagued farmers in the region and was brought on by heavy rains and in early October snow should not affect operations of the facility as it has yet to fully ramp up, at least for now. Obviously, we'll be a little challenged with feedstock coming in, Rajpal said. The nice thing is, we have a pretty good relationship with our primary feedstock providers. American Crystal Sugar and J.R. Simplot are two primary anchor tenants in our facility. They have been very, very flexible with us, primarily because we've got a long-term relationship with them. Rajpal said the biorefinery has contracts with those two businesses that run for more than 20 years. Still, the biorefinery is looking to add other sources of feedstock from farther away, at least temporarily for the first year or so. He offered a rare ray of sunshine for his company in an otherwise bleak harvest season for the region. Quite honestly, with a challenged harvest, it's probably not a huge effect on us because we'll be starting up and we're going to have kind of a ramp up anyway. So it was going to happen. It's probably the best time for it to happen, but hopefully it doesn't happen next year, he said. Our fifth story today comes out of Washington, D.C. Growth Energy announced that summer sales of E15 a fuel with 15% renewable biofuel, often sold as unleaded 88 at the pump, are up 46% in 2019 compared to 2018 on a per-store basis. Additionally, for the first time this past summer, saw the number of stores offering unleaded 88 increase. Led by Casey's, the retail industry added 149 stores over the summer months. The 2019 summer driving season was the first summer unleaded 88 was sold without restriction and this increase underscored the fuel's popularity with drivers who have logged more than 11 billion miles on it. Unleaded 88 provides American drivers unrivaled value at the fuel pump, and the explosive growth in summer sales demonstrate what we've always known once consumers have access to this engine-smart, earth-kind fuel that will come back again and again, said Growth Energy CEO Emily Score. With summertime sales already up 46% over last summer, we expect to see interest from retailers and consumers alike continue to grow. Growth Energy works with leading retailers including Casey's Cumberland Farms, Family Express, Holiday, Come and Go, Quick Trip, Minico, Murphy, USA, Protect Fuel, Pump and Pantry, Quick Trip, Racetrack, Royal Farms, Rudders, Sheets, and Thorntons to give more drivers access to cleaner burning, high octane, unleaded 88 at more than 2,000 stations across the U.S. These retailers sell between 2.2 and 2.5 million fuel gallons per year, which amounts to over 200% more fuel gallons per year than what the average fuel retailer sells annually. Now, our last story of the day comes out of the European Union. EU's increased demand for low-carbon fuels can be met sustainably, a new study shows. More countries could adopt higher ethanol fuel blends to reduce transport emissions, improve air quality, and boost engine performance without exceeding the existing cap on crop-based biofuels. 
Coming out of Brussels on November 14th, Europe's need for better performing low carbon fuels to reduce emissions from existing and new cars could be met by the ethanol industry within the RED2 framework, that is without exceeding the cap on crop-based biofuels and as a response to the advanced biofuels sub-target, according to new research. A study by Sustainable Energy Consultancy, E4 Tech, looked at scenarios involving countries adopting petrol blends with up to 20% renewable ethanol. Found that under two potential 2030 scenarios of increased demand for renewable ethanol, one with a mix of E10 and E20, and another maximum demand scenario with 100% E20, EU supply increases are achievable. In other words, there is no barrier to EU countries increasing their use of renewable ethanol through the introduction today of E10 and tomorrow of a mid-blend such as E20 as a proven climate solution. Renewable ethanol is expected to play a key role in the realization of the EU's energy and climate ambitions. One of the main factors limiting the potential contribution of renewable ethanol to decarbonization of the road vehicle fleet is the level at which ethanol is blended into gasoline. The report's authors write, One option to overcome this is through the standardization and use of mid-level ethanol blends. Already, EU delivers more than 71% average greenhouse gas emission savings compared to fossil petrol. Blending more of it into petrol could increase emission savings for the existing petrol fleet and unlock the full potential of future engines. A conservative yet optimistic scenario with 20% market share of E20 would require an additional 3.2 billion liters of ethanol, a 58% increase compared to 2017 volumes. An extreme high demand scenario in which all petrol sold in the EU would be E20 would require trebling the volumes of ethanol compared with today's supply volumes. The study shows that in both scenarios, demand could be met without exceeding the red 2 crop cap and supplying the ethanol volumes for the advanced biofuel sub-target. Nine countries across the EU already use E10 petrol, which reduced greenhouse gas emissions and works in today's cars and infrastructure, and more are considering adopting it as part of their efforts to achieve renewable targets. In October, the Netherlands began using E10 petrol. Slovakia, Hungary, and Lithuania are in the process of adopting E10 beginning in 2020. Other countries such as Brazil use higher blends to reduce emissions. Europe's need to reduce auto emissions is more urgent than ever, <clears throat> and renewable ethanol is already an important part of the solution, said Emmanuel Displechin, Secretary General of EPIR. But EU countries could do a lot more by moving to E10 and higher blends such as E20. This new study shows there's nothing holding them back. Now Europe's policymakers, regulators, ethanol producers, fuel blenders, and auto manufacturers should work together on a solution that can deliver real benefits for the climate and the economy. Let me know what you thought about today's podcast and send me an email to bobfuelsdaily at gmail.com. Lastly, if you could please subscribe to my podcast and leave a rating, it would be greatly appreciated. Thanks for listening, and remember to always go green.
This is your host, Scott Singer, and you are now tuned into Biofuels Daily. It is Friday, November 29th. Just like a Thanksgiving pumpkin pie topped with whipped cream, today's stories are pretty sweet. Our first story of the day comes out of Richmond, British Columbia. The Green Aviation Research and Development Network, also known as GARDEN, or G-A-R-D-N, and Sky NRG Waterfall Group and Vancouver Airport Authority announced on November 26th the launch of Bioport YVR, an industry-led project to increase the supply of 